0: Good morning, my name is Laura Kovacs and I'm reading scripture this morning. Scripture is taken from Acts chapter 7, verses 51 to 60. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you're forever opposing the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors used to do. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not prosecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, and now you have become his betrayers and murderers. You are the ones that received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you have not kept it. When they heard these things, they became enraged and ground their teeth at Stephen. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears, and with a loud shout all rushed together against him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him, and the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he died. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Lucky Laura that got to start with calling you a bunch of stiff-necked people and then Talking about having uncircumcised hearts, etc. Uh, luck of the draw, I guess, Laura. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our strength, our rock and our Redeemer. Come, Holy Spirit, and speak a word to us. And bring us life, Amen. So this is the first time I'm going to try to use the clicker. So I'm going to do this for the sermon. So if I mess up, there we go. That's that's pretty good. That's working good. Oh, I should probably have my sermon in front of me too. That would be a that would be a really good uh, really good thing to do, considering I'm preaching right now. You wouldn't know it. Um, Uh, So today we're still in the season of Easter, as I said, the season celebrating Jesus' resurrection. Today's assigned scripture, though, is, as we've heard, anything but celebratory. In today's scripture from the Acts of the Apostles, the sequel to Luke's gospel, things are far from celebratory. Here the gathered crowd drags the Apostle Stephen out of the city of Jerusalem, where the crowd stones him to death I mean these followers of Jesus seem to be model citizens with their praying together and eating together and their sharing of possessions it seems kind of unoffensive if you ask me so why would they do such a thing well they've accused Stephen of blasphemy interestingly not against God directly but against Moses and the traditions of God's people Stephen has proclaimed Jesus the Messiah, the one sent by God to set the world right. But the thing that really got this crowd all riled up is what he said about the temple in Jerusalem. The temple is the beating heart of religious life. This is the place of God's unique presence where sacrificial offerings are given as a way to atone for one's sins and a way to receive forgiveness. But according to Stephen, in his death on the cross, Jesus has offered up the one and final sacrifice for all. Forgiveness is available to all and received by trusting in Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the one who Jesus called Father. Faith, as in the case of Abraham and Sarah, is all that's needed. Which is to say that on account of Jesus, they don't need the temple at all. They just need Jesus. They just need Jesus. Now as much as that bothered them though, what really set them off is what we heard Laura read at the beginning of the passage where Stephen called them stiff-necked, meaning stubborn, uncircumcised in the heart and ears. And I told my boys this phrase from the Bible and they thought it was really funny. And then I explained to them what it means. They still laughed, but... It means outwardly the people follow god's law but inwardly they are unconverted though they take god's word very seriously they can't actually hear god speak when god speaks hence the circumcision of the ears stephen says that just like their ancestors the ones who opposed and complained against moses god's agent when they wandered the desert they're just like those who refused to hear the prophet's When God called God's people back to care for the poor, the widow, and the orphan. And how does Stephen know that? Well, because they killed Jesus when he showed up too. Despite knowing the scriptures inside and out, they didn't know God when God was right in front of their faces. Just more stubborn, hard-hearted rebels in a long line of stubborn, hard-hearted rebels who insist on ever opposing God's prophets and God's Spirit. Big surprise, of course. They hear all these things, and they become enraged, and they grind their teeth at this insult. And it's at this moment that Stephen himself is filled with the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that he's accused the crowd of rejecting. Stephen's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he gazes up into heaven. And he receives this vision of, God and Jesus standing at God's right hand. Look, he says, pointing upward. The Son of Man seated at the right hand of God. Unfortunately, though, at the sound of Stephen's voice, they all cover their ears and prove Stephen and his accusations right. They go berserk and they rush him. They drag him out of the city and they stone him to death. As a blasphemer. That is the end of Stephen. Now, when we hear this, it's easy for us to sympathize with Stephen, to recognize the brutality of this act against him, to see the sheer senselessness of his aggressors. I don't speak for everyone, but I think it's probably a safe bet to say all of us agree, executing somebody for alleged blasphemy is something nobody should ever do I mean I think it's safe to say we all agree on that what happens next though is probably less easy for us to grasp Stephen's response to the stoning it's a bit harder for us to wrap our heads around While the crowd is tossing their stones Stephen turns to prayer what does he pray for? Does he pray for deliverance? Does he pray for God to smite the wicked? No. He prays for God to receive his spirit and then he kneels down and with his last breath he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Stephen's last words Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Stephen prays for the forgiveness of his enemies as they stone him to death. Last thing he ever says before he dies. Now intellectually, I think that this is just great, right? It's the kind of thing everybody should do. Forgiveness is good. Stephen, what an incredible example. Let's give that guy a feast day, preferably after Christmas. That's Boxing Day, by the way, it's St. Stephen's Day. Problem is, when I think about the people who've wronged me, I can't really see myself doing the same thing. Can you? I mean, it looks good on paper. And honestly, I haven't been hurt that bad. I can't imagine what it would be like to be someone who's truly been hurt, abused, or had a loved one taken away from them. If I were a Uyghur in a Chinese prison camp, or a Ukrainian that had my family wiped out by artillery, or if I were a young Ugandan man beaten and facing life imprisonment for being gay, if I were Stephen, I'd probably be hoping and praying for this crowd to be punished for all eternity or at least some kind of severe punishment for the persecutors in this life. And I'd be completely justified for wanting that, for as the scriptures say, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Sympathizing with Stephen as a victim is easy. Seeking forgiveness for our enemies sounds all good and noble in theory, heroic and worth celebrating. But actually, doing that, it might be impossible. It might be impossible. Now, Of course, the testimony of the Scriptures is, if the testimony of the Scriptures is correct, it's not impossible because Stephen did it. Of course, he could just be an innately good, patient, and courageous guy. Some of you might remember uh, Shirley Edgar, who died a few years ago, Uh, an absolutely saintly person if there ever were one. She just naturally seemed to extend grace to everyone to do the right thing, kind of like just like breathing in and out. One of you said to me, though, how come it's so easy for some people to be good? Because for some of us, being good is not so easy. For some people, forgiveness seems easy, but where does it leave the rest of us? The thing about Stephen, though, is that the scriptures make it very clear that this whole courageous display is not his own doing. At the beginning, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. God's power, God's life is at work in him, making it possible. But it's also the vision that the Holy Spirit gives him of Jesus seated at the right hand of God. He's shown that Christ is the king of the universe, that he lives and he reigns, that Christ is the judge, that Christ will send, set things right, that Jesus is the judge, not him. And he can give up his spirit to God, He can give up his need for vengeance knowing that justice will be done in the end but he also knows the character of the judge of course if you're familiar with the gospels you'll know that stephen is following in the footsteps of jesus jesus teaches in the sermon on the mount to pray for our enemies and to bless those who persecute us what's more though is that jesus does exactly what he teaches from the cross. Jesus commends his spirit to God and prays a similar prayer for the people who betray him, the people who pound nails into his hands and feet, the people who mock him and stab him in the side. Stephen can pray for the forgiveness of his enemies because he knows that Jesus died for his enemies, that the word from the cross is forgiveness. He knows that God desires that all be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You and me and the worst offender. He's freed from vengeance, anger, and hatred. He can be merciful because Christ himself is merciful. He's working with a strength that is not his own. It doesn't just come from inside of him. A few weeks ago, the Wall Street Journal published a review of a recent book Seventy Times Seven, a true story of murder and mercy by journalist Alex Marr. And the book centers on the 1985 murder of a 78-year-old retired Bible teacher named Ruth Pelkey. Pelkey was killed during an invasion of her Gary, Indiana home by four teenage girls. One of the girls, Paula Cooper, stabbed Pelkey more than 30 times with a butcher knife before all four of the girls fled with her car and ten dollars and cooper was sentenced to death the following year becoming at age sixteen the youngest person then on death row in america you know it is absolutely brutal murder vicious and carried out for no good reason against such a beloved person much of Pelkey's family and members of her community approved of the sentence. I mean, understandably, they wanted some justice for such a heinous crime. And as you can see, Cooper is black. The interesting thing is that before seeking the death penalty, the prosecutor consulted with the community's most prominent black ministers. And they sided with the devout victim against the perpetrators. From a distance, we might imagine ourselves doing differently. We might be more sympathetic, but even the most sympathetic people at the time were not. Forgiveness was not on their minds. One family member, though, found sympathy for Cooper. Pelkey's grandson, Bill, was working his night shift at the local steel mill. And amid the clanging metal and heat blasts, Bill had this vision of his slain grandmother. He had this vision, and in this vision, she was weeping. In this vision, Bill believed that she was weeping. His grandmother was crying for her murderer, Paula Cooper. And as a result, he became convinced that she would not want this young woman killed in her name. He turned to his Bible for guidance and was drawn to a passage in the Gospel of Matthew that lends the book its title. Peter asked Jesus, Lord, how many times shall I give my brother or sister who sins against me Up to seven times? And Jesus responds, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Bill then began a long relationship with Cooper, exchanging hundreds of emails, letters, and visiting her in prison more than 14 times. And much to his family's chagrin, he began calling publicly for the commutation of her death sentence. More so, he started devoting himself to banning the death penalty in America, traveling the country with other advocates who, in the author's words, have, quote, radical sympathy for those who have committed horrific crimes. Like Stephen, driven by a vision of the slain Lord, Jesus, to pray for the forgiveness of his murderers, Bill was driven by this merciful vision of his slain grandmother and by Jesus command in the scriptures not only to forgive her murderer but he was given a quote radical sympathy for all murderers and was driven to seek mercy for even the most undeserving and like Stephen I don't think he was able to do this on his own but he did so by the power above all powers Christ at work in him by the power of the Holy Spirit he didn't do it on his own forgiveness is good we know this forgiveness is right we know this too forgiveness frees us and it heals the world again we know all that But the fact is, we know, the fact that we know it doesn't make it any more possible or any easier. Fortunately, though, dear friends, with God, all things are possible, even that, even the one who you can't forgive, even the one who has done the unforgivable to you. Because, dear friends, we have a God whose very nature is love, we have a God who has come in the flesh, who shed his blood for you and for me and for many for the forgiveness of sins so we may may live and not die. To wipe clean the slate of human brokenness and hurt the just and the unjust alike. And as Stephen's vision of Christ attests, And Bill Pelkey's vision of his grandmother attests, this is the same God who rules and reigns over all creation. Meaning that we too can seek not vengeance or be consumed by hatred, but we can pray for the forgiveness and transformation of our enemies. Not by our own strength, but by God's strength. Even if our own blood be shed, we are freed to forgive by the blood shed on the cross. The king of love, our shepherd is. And he's gathering all of his wayward sheep back into his fold. As my friend Doug Goodwin says, as my friend Doug Goodwin says, this is the Christian way, the Christian life. It is who we are. The good news is that God hears such a prayer, and persecutors are not enchained by their evil, and enemies are not forever condemned as enemies, but are free to be children of God. Our prayer of forgiveness and plea for mercy for those who can only be considered our enemies transforms enmity into fellowship, Enemies into siblings, those who persecute us into those beloved by God. So, dear friends, may this word of grace open the heavens for you. May it open your eyes to the Lamb who is seated on the throne. May you forgive as you've been forgiven, and may you come to know the freedom. Of the children of God. I offer this up to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.